the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. You're listening to another episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. And if you're noticing something a little bit different about this episode, it's because we are recording virtually again. Yes. Um, and will be for probably the next episode or so as well. Yeah. Um, for, for reasons. Lots um, of reasons. But... But it's probably a temporary measure. Uh, yeah. So if things sound weird or a little bit uh, disjointed, uh, that's why. Yeah. It claimed my computer decided to crap out. My computer that, decided to crap out right before we started recording. So so not only are we virtual, but we are also uh, using alternate devices that are not our usual <laughs> recording equipment. <laughs> I, I don't even have my fancy microphone anymore, Trey. Am I, I even a man? I've got my Yeti real nice for you um for, for those of you listening at home um because this is such a visual medium um james was making a very angry face at <laughs> well that's because i'm sitting on my bed like we're recording you know bye bye birdie and i'm singing what's the story morning glory <laughs> and you're at least in a desk at a desk in your office right right uh but um another interesting thing is that we have actually managed to recording regularly what we've actually managed to keep recording regularly though we have we have i mean this is three episodes basically on time right and speaking of this episode it is a special one guys because it is our first two-parter that's right we have picked out a story arc that spans enough issues that we're gonna have to split it up into two yeah and of course that's kind of a precursor to later in the show when we're going to cover storylines. There are enough episodes that we're going to have to do like multiple, multiple episodes. Right. We we might have some some multi episode mini series such as um, Inferno. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that one because I've never read the main storyline. I've only read tie ins. Yeah. Ugh, it's uh, there's 2020, so many. Yeah, 2023 is going to be an interesting time here in the tomb, guys. But uh, we are our first multi-episode arc is going to be the 1997 Man Thing comic. I believe it's technically Man Thing Volume Three. Volume Three, yeah. Uh, um, by J. M. DeMatteis Sharp. Um, it, it's branded Strange Tales. I think there were. Uh, I think it and Werewolf by Night at the time were being labeled as Strange Tales. Yeah. Um, maybe some other things, but definitely those two. Um, and in fact. This, this arc is going to run beyond the number of issues of Man-Thing Volume 3 because <laughs> the story eventually just spills into whatever books DiMatteis could, could get his hands on to, to keep the story going. Yeah, it's like he's grabbing stuff off the shelf at one point. Just like, uh, all right, right, this! 
So, so eventually the, the two Strange Tales books get folded into a single title called Strange Tales, and yeah. that runs for a couple of issues. Yeah. Uh, more issues were solicited but never published. Yeah. Uh, and then the story more or less wraps up in Peter Parker Spider-Man Annual 99. That's a whole thing we'll get into next episode. Uh, yeah, which in, in the editorial captions acknowledges things that occurred in the unpublished issues of Strange Tales. It's a roller coaster, y'all. It, yeah, woo. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, we are going to be looking at Man-Thing Volume 3, issues 1 through 6 on this episode, written by right. J.M. and Debateus and Trey. Should we tell them this surprise in a, next, in a second episode? Um... Maybe maybe we'll leave them in suspense until the end of this. Ooh, we'll, so we'll make listen. that the end of episode teaser. Hey, ooh, ooh, we're such teases, such <laughs> such teases, we're such teases, Trey. You know, I should not. Do, I should. I shouldn't do that while laying on my bed. I, I just. Ah, uh, no, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, You know what? We're gonna go to a quick break. I'm going to, you know, think about what I did, and. We'll be right back with our look at Man-Thing Volume 3, Issue 1 through 6, after these messages. Our most powerful guardian spirit lives in the dark water. This place was always filled with life. But evil men have changed that with their drills, greed, and murder. A time of retribution is here. I think there's something in the water! On April 30th, fear grows. Marvel presents Man-Thing, a sci-fi pictures original, premieres Saturday, April 30th at 9. He's like many of us, mired in the routine of upward mobility, but all that is about to change. With an unexpected trip to a place called Cleveland, a romance with a girl named Beverly. He's my boyfriend! And an adventure beyond the imagination of the average duck. George Lucas presents Howard the Duck, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production, rated PG. Starts Friday, August 1st at select theaters. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Again, my name is still James Hickson, and um, during the break, I went to the fridge and grabbed myself a nice Shiner Ruby Red Bird. It is, um, it, it, it's grapefruity, very grapefruity. Yes. And a bit gingery. I like Shiner. Good, good brand. Not a sponsor of this show, but I like it. If they want to be a sponsor of the show, we're whores, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please give us money. I will drink your beer. You know and, what? And talk about it loudly. Giving how we went to the last break, I should stop talking like that. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, so, so. What, what are you drinking? Man thing. What, me? Uh, uh, I, uh, I just finished a Coke Zero. Boring soda. Oh, so I'm the one with the problem. Got it. Cool. <laughs> that, that's awesome for me uh, but yeah speaking of man thing even though I said I was going to stop talking like that uh, we are going to go ahead and look at man thing um, basically man thing volume 3 1 through 6 basically a nice trade what would be a trade these days and it's interesting uh, this volume of man thing is interesting because we have as a viewpoint character somebody who had been a former villain of this series, a kind of major villain in the origin of Man Thing, his wife Ellen Brand, and Ellen is haunted by dreams, and eventually 
the dreams lead her to the swamp in Citrusville where she encounters the Man-Thing. Now, of course, Ellen has encountered the Man-Thing before as evidenced by the fact that almost half her face has almost melted off. And Ellen encounters the Man-Thing during a run-in with local law enforcement. And Ellen has a vision where she realizes that the Man-Thing that melted half her face is in fact her deceased and betrayed husband, Ted Salas. Uh, shortly after that and the run-in with law enforcement, who should arrive on a scene but Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange reveals to Ellen that she and her husband, not ex-husband, because she wasn't technically ever divorced from him, and he is technically still alive, are on a mission. And that mission is to reassemble the shattered shards of the nexus of reality. It's the nexus of the multiverse, which the Man-Thing had previously been the guardian of. And while they're on this mission, they are pursued by a entity called uh, Terminus, who is the most 90s-looking monster antagonist you will ever see, and to the point where he looks a bit like Grant Morrison walked into the comic. And then we go to an insane asylum, because... Again, it wouldn't be a post-Vertigo comic if we didn't. And in that insane asylum, we meet... Uh, Eric Payne. Eric Payne, also known as... Devil Slayer. The Devil Slayer, that's right. Uh, the Devil Slayer, who, we'll get to this, actually came from another comics company. Yep. And this is our Christmas episode, and it is not our Christmas episode, but a Christmas issue of the comic, and it is Christmas in the Asylum. And Terminus visits the inhabitants of the asylum and starts giving out gifts. And these gifts basically throw the asylum into a hellscape. Meanwhile, in the Swamp and Citrusville, Ellen finds a staff. And this staff sings to her. This staff is very important. And this staff leads both Ellen and the Man-Thing to the asylum, where... They help the demon slayer, the devil slayer, devil slayer, uh, face his own demons, as it were, along with a um, possibly supernatural woman named Sorrow. And the staff begins to talk through the man thing. And we realize there's far more to the staff. But we also realize that Ted Salas and Ellen had a son. But more on that later. After Man-Thing, Ellen, and Sorrow, but mostly Sorrow, help the Demon Slayer find his true self and reach a higher calling, they return to the swamp where they encounter an old friend of Man-Thing. Trey? Trey? Yes? It's Howard the Duck. Ah. (laughs) Howard is being pursued by some cultists because, of course, he is. And um, Man-Thing... Specifically cultists that we have seen in previous issues of Man-Thing. Yeah, yeah. And Man-Thing beats the crap out of these cultists. And it's fun, including turning to kaiju size to do so. Um, it, 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 they say it in the book, it's giant-sized Man-Thing. And just as uh, Man-Thing is completely depleted by his encounter 
with the cultist and the fact that uh, his son with Ellen has been taken away, although they don't find out until later, um, then Namor shows up. Yep. But more on that next episode. That That is a very, very hard to be continued, is the slamming down of a winged foot. Yep. 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 So... You've described this book several times as post-Vertigo. Yeah. And that's that's 100% what, what this seems. Um, yes. For one thing, the, the labeling of it. I mentioned that it's it, it was sort of solicited and, and labeled on the covers as Strange Tales. Um, Marvel is in much smaller print. This is a Strange Tales comic, sort of parentheses, parenthetical, from Marvel. Yep. Um, it, it's sort of, it's almost like the goal was to make Strange Tales their Vertigo brand. Yes. Uh, which then they later tried with, with Marvel Max in a similar sort of way. In a very different sort of way. Well, they they a different aspect of Vertigo manifested through Max. Yeah. Let's see. When did Salmon uh, end? Uh, gosh. The original series ran for 75 issues from January 1989 to March 1996. So this 96, would be perfectly yeah. situated to be Marvel's like, okay, Sandman's over. Let's pick up the Sandman baton. Right. There's a lot of Sandman here. There's a lot of Morrison's Doom Patrol here. Yep. Um, but on it, there's a lot of Morrison here. Doom Patrol, Animal Man, what have you. Terminus looks like Morrison. But but he looks like more if Morrison was a character in a Grant Morrison comic. B- besides the character in Grant Morrison comic that Grant Morrison is? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fittingly meta that... The, that conversation got weird. Um, but yeah, this is, for one thing, a huge jump forward for us from the last time we talked about Man Thing. Yeah, we're in the 90s now. But you know, we, we kind of ended up on the 90s last episode with the what if issue. But it's true. this is definitely the 90s. It is. But it is very much informed by the stories that we have already covered for the most part. Like the. The revised origin of Man Thing involving advanced idea mechanics comes up here. You know, like that is a part of Ellen's or- origin being retold. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 cult of entropy shows up in I think more than one issue of what we read. I know they were in the uh, uh, giant size number one. Yeah, I think they were they were in the the two in one with the thing. Yeah. So so we've seen the cult of entropy before. Yep. Uh, Howard, Howard references his first appearance, the the weird sort of Dungeons and Dragonsy kind of adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like we cheated to get more Howard because, well, we we kind of did, <laughs> but I, I love it when Howard shows up in the book. I love Howard and Duck. Yeah. Just, um, you know, I could have sworn Ellen was dead. Um, uh, no, I think it was left ambiguous. Okay. Um. I think that in the original issue, the implication was that she died. When when Man-Thing burns her face, the implication, I think, was that she was dying, if not dead. Okay. Um, but um, I think this might be her first appearance since then. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, no, she... Well, that might be a flashback. I was going to say, she, she appears in some some uh, issues of Giant Size and, and, and Volume 2, but those might be flashbacks. Okay. And, you know, we were talking about this in 1997. This 
it, the comic expressly says that it ties into the events of Heroes Return, or Heroes Reborn. Yes. That's the, the impetus for Ellen and Man-Thing's quest mm-hmm. is that Heroes Return, like the, the, the reemergence of the heroes from the pocket dimension they were held in by Franklin Richards because of uh, slot. Was that an onslaught thing? That was that was that that was after onslaught. After onslaught, the heroes of the D, of the well, so Marvel Marvel Universe. There we go. Heroes of the Marvel Universe, the big ones, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk. Um, they all get shut off to basically counter Earth, and, right. um, and, they, and all of those books relaunched with new number ones in that new continuity. Yep, basically to make them more like Image Comics, right? Which does uh, not that that that's where if you've ever seen the the Rob Liefeld. Like sort of not resembling the anatomy of a human at all, Captain America. That comes from that run. Oh yeah, that it was sold very well at the time. That was very much Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, all those Image Boys um, coming, coming in, coming home, coming home. Yeah, coming home to Marvel. Um, and oof, not sure. Sold very well though. It, did, did it? Uh, the the Cap number one sold very well. Interesting. Um, these are books we will never cover on our show. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't have monsters in them. Really. They don't. Like, they're not horror books. Uh, unless... they're, they're not horror books in the conventional sense. No, they're horrible, but uh, not horror books in the sense that, you know, I mean, you could easily mistake the people in it as monsters based on their anatomy, but that's huh. <laughs> that's a different but, issue. But anyway, so, but the, so Onslaught, uh, Franklin Richards, Pocket Reality, eventually the heroes return. Apparently, Heroes Returning broke the nexus of all realities, and that's what scattered all these aspects of it into various places. Which, if that's what it takes for me to get that amazing Kurt Busiek, George Perez Avengers run, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Easily one of my favorite... Break favorites. whatever you need to break. Yeah, one of my favorite comic runs of all time. I adore it. I have it in hardcover. I, mm. what, what's funny to me is that DC has done stories sort of like this fairly recently. And, and it's sort of been treated as kind of a new idea. Oh, no. Actually, this one volume of Man-Thing, the late <laughs> 90s, beat them to it. <laughs> we should bring that up later with our guest. Uh. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So, we, we've got this uh, connection to the broader Marvel Universe here. Also, just the presence of Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. A, a occasionally very surprisingly naked Doctor Strange. I mean, Ellen's a very attractive woman. Strange is going to shoot a shot. <laughs> well, and he's he just, he's floating through the, like, he's floating through the cosmos. Like, his astral form apparently does not enjoy wearing clothes. No, which is something new we've not previously seen in Marvel Comics. I think that's a, <laughs> Liam, I think that's a Liam Sharp thing, and I salute him for it. Uh, we should talk hey, about, uh, we talk, should talk about Liam Sharp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is the artist here for all the issues we're looking at, and he is freaking fantastic. Art's gorgeous in, in all of these books. Like, this is a very trippy book. I will say that. It It is. It is leaning into the weirdness. It, it's like the convergence of Cosmic Kirby, Steve Ditko, and the stuff we were seeing out of Vertigo from Patrol and Sandman. Like, all of those things sort of swing together in one pot. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the Cosmic Kirby, because that's something we bring up that exact point. It's Many pages in this book seem more like photo collages, art projects, than a, a page from a comic book. 
especially anytime you've got like a two-page spread mm-hmm. like that spread is not going to be a conventional image it's going to be a hodgepodge of ideas and and uh element visual elements sort of rubbing up against each other in hypnotic ways yep Where... also the physicality of the man thing throughout the book is just really beautifully captured in ways that nobody even thought of doing in the 60s and 70s yes like man thing oozes and stretches and deforms in ways we've Rebuilds not previously... himself yep in ways we've not previously seen there are several parts of the book where like man thing just becomes like pulverized in the muck and just starts to rebuild himself it is good stuff and, and, and it's like yes Man-Thing's conventional form is the big, hulking, muscular, shaggy, shambling brute. But he doesn't have to always look like that. Sometimes circumstances can allow him to modify that appearance in interesting, sort of contortionist kind of ways. You know, it, it occurs to me that he's a little bit less Man-Thing, a little more The Thing, and it, mm-hmm. as in John Carpenter's The Thing. Good call, yeah. There's a kind of adaptability to his physical. Yep, which I finally... Especially... Saw- Especially as we get into some of these trippier sequences where either you're in a dream world or you are in some kind of otherworldly cosmic setting where the rules of physics and reality don't have to be followed. And so his physical form doesn't follow those rules. Yes. We haven't mentioned it, but uh, the uh, Alan Moore Swamp thing is another book that came to mind frequently, perhaps for obvious Yeah, yeah. So and, and and the Swamp Thing title in general post Alan Moore. Yes, it's interesting because like aside from some dream sequences, the book starts out not that trippy, but as you get deeper into the book, the book gets more and more trippy. Like Doctor Strange shows up, and it's like reality loses loses its meaning. Right. Um, the majority of the issue immediately following Strange's appearance, like there are some brief sections in the Sanctum Sanctorum. But a lot of it is Ellen inside what's left of Ted Salas's psyche. Yes, uh, and that's just a fascinating. That's a fascinating section. Uh, the next issue, the Christmas issue, almost all of that issue is from the point of view of Devil Slayer, who is apparently at this point a very broken person, and so his hold on reality is tenuous at best. Yeah, they're easing us into the the psyche. The trippy stuff, the psychosomatic, or not, I don't know, not, not the word I'm looking for, the psychotic, there we go, um, trippy stuff, and then they ease you into it to where we'll talk, we'll talk about later issues. You are just, you are, you are completely lost in it. And yeah. uh, you mentioned uh, Devil Slayer. We should probably talk yeah. about him. What, uh, what do you know about Devil Slayer? Uh, so I, I know the, the rough publication history where, um, there, there was what Demon Hunter, Demon Slayer, Rick Buck- um, Demon Slayer, right. and, and 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 that was a Rich Buckler creation, right? And you're right, it was Demon Slayer. Um, Demon Slayer began life in Atlas Seaboard Comics, created by um, David Anthony Craft and Rich Buckler. And when Atlantis went belly up, oh, Atlas, Atlas, excuse me, Atlas went belly up, helped in no small part by Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. who did not like the competition. Um, the character went over to Marvel Comics almost completely intact, looking almost completely the same, and with a new name for legal reasons. Right there, there's a there's a quote from uh, 
David Anthony Kraft, saying, quote, I changed his costume colors. Rich changed the costume design a little bit. We changed the name, of course. But if you look at his backstory, it's a direct continuation from the Atlas. <laughs> I love uh, stuff but, like that. <laughs> but, but the character had kind of a rough go of things at Marvel. He first appeared in Marvel Spotlight 33 um, with plans for additional issues. Unfortunately, Marvel Spotlight number 33 was the final issue of that volume of Marvel Spotlight. Ah. Uh, so he did end up getting added to the Defenders after the Defender for a while. In fact, um, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a brief moment in issue three, I think it's issue three, mm-hmm. three or four, whenever whenever Man-Thing first appears in front of uh, Devil Slayer and he muses that, that the creature seems familiar, uh, the Defenders investigated the disappearance of Citrusville in Defenders Volume 198 while uh, Devil Slayer was on the team. Uh, and so they encountered they encountered Man-Thing in that issue. And uh, in that issue, Devil Slayer loses his Shadow Cloak. So Demetrius and Sharp are playing with some things that are pulled right out of, like, actual Marvel continuity. I, I love it. Um, that issue three, by the way, has a great bit on page 10 where the the panel of Ellen is split split apart and she's fighting with the man thing and like one panel is like half her face normal half her face uh, and she's talking about how she was married to him once and then she and there's a panel of her punching the man thing and then the next panel is her face the scarred side of her face and it's like but I'm basically I'm sick of being your babysitter in this hellhole right. that is a great little panel there and I made a note of it. I like this much I made a note of it. Yeah, that's a good layout. That's the sort of thing that that to see like Mike Blue. Yes. Yes. And Sharp makes a nice little inheritor of Plu here, honestly. Yeah. Yes. And and visually and in terms of story, the book never forgets that at its core, man thing is a horror. Yeah. In I, this case it is a cosmic existential horror, but it's horror. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've talked about, you know, this man thing is a little bit closer to John Carpenter's The Thing. Well, you know who was one of the storyboard artists on John Carpenter's The Thing? Luke. Mike Plug. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, but, I, yeah, I, I, I love the Christmas story. The Christmas story is just so much fun. And you kind of realize at one point, the Christmas story takes three issues. Basically, yeah. It, it continues beyond. So the... When we say Christmas story, what jumps to mind is issue three that has the, the cover of Man Thing wearing the Santa hat and beard. But you're right, the the that arc with Devil Slayer really goes through uh three, four, and five. Yeah. Other than that sort of publication history and that, that little bit of trivia I looked up about uh the defenders with Devil Slayer uh fighting Man Thing. Um don't really know much else about Devil Slayer. I know Tony Stark rejected him during the initiative. Like, he was one of the characters that, that sort of came up as a joke. Oh. Um, and this, of course, would have been after this run sort of made him into a character. They sort of did the, the Moon Knight thing, right? He's, he's one of the mentally unstable heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and although he does end up on one of the initiative teams. Uh, if you remember the 50 States initiative of the early 2000s, uh, Devil Slayer is on the Hawaiian team. Interesting. Uh, and he, he's made minor appearances here and there ever since. Uh, he he joined Wonder Man's team of Revengers. Uh, that was at the beginning of the heroic age, maybe. So, like, 
early 2010s, maybe 2011. But but yeah, he's not a character that's featured in a whole lot. There was a Max book uh, that came after that, 2008 or so, uh, Dead of Night featuring Devil Slayer. Oh right, the whole, there's that whole Dead of Night series. There's a man, there's a man thing Dead of Night series too. Yes, yeah, there were several under that sort of imprint or whatever you want to call it. So we might have to cover that book at some point. Uh, yeah, because there was Man Thing, Devil Slayer, and Werewolf by Night. Okay, and and each one ran for four. Um, you can't see it, guys, but I just put my head in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh. nothing like late two thousands Marvel Max titles. Oh man, I have a feeling they will not be as pretty as the Liam Sharp. No, no. But yeah, um, I really enjoy this book though it's good it's if you've ever read any other of jm dimatteis's horror fantasy comics i'm thinking his his doctor fate run or any of his doctor strange stuff like the, the into shambhala graphic novel uh this fits right in with those in terms of storytelling stuff okay um so yeah terminus is definitely the most vertigo part of this book yeah he he's he's a weird little bugger. He, he more than anything else is the reason I keep invoking Doom Patrol. Yeah, he I feels like that. a Doom Patrol villain. Yes, he, he he does. He's I don't want to say he's the least interesting part of the series. He's the least fleshed out. Though. Yeah, and you could almost take him and swap him out for any cosmic or magical villain, and it would still work. Yeah, I could see that. Um, in fact, in in the early issues, he has a very Loki kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I the villain is probably my least favorite. And we'll get the, more in that he just seems to be there because they need a villain. Right. And we'll talk more about him. I think in our second part because he plays a bigger, right. ro- even bigger role there. Yeah. Here he uh, again. I think the reason why I think of Loki so much is here he's playing more manipulator than villain. he is setting pieces into into play and setting schemes. The most villainous he comes across, really, are uh, the the scenes with uh, the boy, and that's the only part of his story that I'm like, okay, I can list, I can read more of this story, right? And we'll talk more again. We'll talk more about it in the second half, I think. Yeah, because that comes up more later. So, I think this is actually a good place to stop the issue. Then, yeah, yeah. Um, again, it, it's good. It's, it's very good. It uh, leaves you on sort of a cliffhanger here. Uh, the Howard the Duck stuff is sort of a fun change of pace. Like you said, if you're sort of breaking this series up into chunks, one and two are kind of a story arc, introducing sort of the overall situation and strange setting Ellen on course to be Man-Thing's keeper of sorts. Um, then three, four, and five are the Devil Slayer uh, with, with Man-Thing and Ellen reclaiming shard of the Nexus that's inside Devil Slayer. And then six is kind of the palette clip. Um, it, it, it sort of tells it's it's almost a one-shot. Um, you do get another uh, shard of the Nexus and uh, the Howard stuff, um, but it doesn't draw itself out the way the other stories do. It, it's all done in one. And of course, we get that fantastic um, giant-sized Man-Thing thing, where he does oh, turn it into a kaiju. Yes, and honestly, if there's one thing that the MCU could give me to make me happy, it would be season two of Moon Knight. But if there was another thing that the MCU <laughs> could give me to make me happy, it would be a kaiju-sized man thing so that someone can point and say, look, it's a giant-sized man thing. 
Oh my god, I didn't know I needed that till now. Cause you know you got a kaiju battle. Uh huh. You got a kaiju. You got a kaiju battle in Moon Knight. I did, but it would be better with with Man. Rematch with Man Thing thrown in. <laughs> Konshu versus Man Thing. Yep, I I can dig it. <laughs> Good stuff all around. It really is. It it you know you mentioned doing this series and I was hesitant because um, <laughs> I'm like oh man it's the nineties. It's right. It's dark supernatural characters in the 90s i know what to expect here and i wasn't entirely wrong it is of its time for sure but it's a lot of fun in a lot of ways there there were good comics in the 90s the thing and and the fact that it's reminding us of people like grant morrison is that that's a compliment you know like of of the night that era of 90s comics that's what you aspire to definitely definitely is and it's it's good stuff, and we'll, I think we'll talk more about how, how much we liked it in our next episode. That's right. Uh, so uh, for those of you keeping score at home, uh, what we have left to talk about uh, is Man-Thing Volume 3, Issues 7 and 8, um, Strange Tales. Uh, I, I forget what volume it is, but it's the 1998 Strange Tales, uh, numbers 1 and 2, the only two issues that were published. Yep. Uh, you might see it listed as Strange Tales starring Werewolf and Man-Thing. Yep. Um, and then we're going to wrap up the storyline with, all things, Peter Parker Spider-Man Annual 1999. It's Volume 4 of Strange Tales, by the way. Okay, Strange Tales Volume 4. That's one of those books that got relaunched so many times it's hard to keep track. Yeah, at, at least we're not talking about, you know, Solo Adventures Johnny Storm. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> We'll leave, that so, yeah. to, so, leave that to guys in Fantastic Ass to suffer through that. Um, but we promised a teaser for the next episode, and that teaser is not just a list of what issues we're covering, because, no, dear listeners, we've got a treat for you in addition to the two of us talking about those comics. That's right. We have the writer of this series, J.M. Demetrius, joining right. us here on the Tomb of Ideas to talk about not just this run of band thing, although we'll, we'll be talking a lot about that, but of course, his career and work in general, as well as a new Kickstarter he has going on. That's right. Uh, he's got a, a project coming up. I think Liam Sharp is involved in some way, too. He is. He is. So, so uh, a reunion of the creative team from the books we're talking about, which is cool. And, and I look forward to hearing more about that from him uh, when we get to that episode. That's right. So, if you want to get in touch with us, did you read this series in the 90s? And do we have our heads completely up our butts about 90s comic books? Please let us know. You can reach us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter. While we're still there, it's at tombofideas. Um, Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tomb of ideas and we are of course proud members of the cinepunks podcasting group that's right that means you'll find our entire back catalog on cinepunks.com that's cinepunks with an x uh in addition to our show you'll find other great shows like the flagship cinepunks podcast uh the carnage report cinema smorgasbord uh horror business twitch of the death nerve uh, all kinds of great shows talking about movies, music, horror, um, 
great stuff. And also plenty of articles as well. We uh, write up uh, movie reviews, uh, talk about upcoming films and TV shows, album reviews, all kinds of stuff. So cinepunks.com, you'll find all our episodes along with the other great shows on the network. Indeed. So I think that wraps things up. I think it does. So we'll be, for us, going right into our next issues. But we'll see you next week for, I don't know what I was going. For a giant size Tomb of Ideas spectacular? Yeah! (laughs) Until then, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Universe Excelsior! Ha 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 ha!